Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirk Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode 19 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. We've had a brief little hiatus. We're back and better than ever. Excited. Pat McCabe's going to join us coming up in a bit. He is the executive director of the American Express Tournament down in La Quinta, which was won uh, by John Rahm, but he lives in Portland, a great guy. And so we'll talk with Pat coming up uh, in a bit. I'm Andy Dirk Johnson. He is Eric Peterson. And EP, buddy, you've been... You've been You've been out on the course a lot. This this is a new year, new you, baby. I like yeah. what I'm seeing so far. Well, I think the weather helped so far. I mean, remember this time last year, the weather was so bad. We're trying to bump our heads together thinking of who could we bring on. And we're like, how about Matt Zafino? So he can tell us when we're going to see the sun. And now here we are. It feels like in the, the better part of the last month, it's pretty much been great golf weather every day. It's nuts. Like it is such a, such a change. And especially coming from where we were in January, February, March, like even April to a certain extent, like it was bad, man. Like it just did not stop. We were setting records in April for rainfall. And then to set, I think I saw that in May, we have set the record for number of 80 degree days and the most, you know, that we've ever seen in a May before. And it's, it's awesome. And is there anything that benefits more than your golf game? If you have good weather like this, because you can't sit, like if you're sitting around the house and it's rainy outside, We'll joke with Pat in a bit because I went and played with him at Oswego Lake a few weeks back and it was just dumping the whole day. And I'm miserable, but I was so desperate to get out and play that I did it. And now you look outside, you're like, dude, I want to go play golf today. Cause it's I think nice. that day you played with him, if I remember correctly, that was like one of the last days that it actually rained any measurable <laughs> amount. I mean, seriously, Horrible, over man. the last like month, it's been really good. And it's funny, I was thinking about just how unpredictable the weather is year in, year out. Cause I remember like when Zafino was on, he was telling us like that. The, the weather just, Hey, this stuff happens. Like you and I were thinking that like, Oh, this is the craziest thing ever. And he's like, well, you know, actually there's ups and there's downs. And it made me think of like, when I'm standing on a tee box, I'm just sitting there thinking like, this might be good. This might be bad. I really have no idea. There's no statistics that I really can draw from. That's going to tell me what's going to happen here. And so you just let it rip. And I feel like weather year in, year out is kind of the same. And this year it's great and everybody's having a great time. So take advantage of it. Get out and play golf. Even it was, I felt like such a Southern California bitch. Sorry for my language, but yesterday it was like 58 degrees and I got home from work and I've been so used to eighties that I like took the dog for a walk and I was like, it is cold, man. And, but if you told me two months ago, 58 degrees, I'd probably be outside in shorts and a t-shirt because we had, we had come from such cold weather. Uh, Now we know we've documented this here on season two of the pod. Eric Peterson going through a bit of a midlife crisis with his golf game. Not happy with where his handicap's at. You played in a competitive tournament this weekend. How are we feeling? How did it go? So I played at Riverside in the Riverside Best Ball. I want to give a shout out to my playing partners. Um, you, you know who you are. Um, I had such an awesome time playing in that tournament with those guys. And again, like as you and I talk about, like the the crew matters, right? I mean, whether it's a golf trip or just 18 holes on a Saturday, like the people you're with matters and had such a great time with them. Um, now here I am like dodging your question about like, am I, how's my golf game? Like the thing, here's the deal with, with golf in Portland. A lot of courses are tree lined. A lot of the, so like a lot of the trees are big. And so I've always been kind of a sprayer of the golf ball off the tee with my driver. And I think for, for whatever reason, I'm becoming more frustrated with that. And 
when I played a Riverside man, so listeners out there who have played there, you know that if you're hitting it in the trees, you're chipping out. I mean, that's just what you're going to do. It's kind of like East Moreland, right? Where if you don't hit it straight, you're chipping out and you maybe will get it up and down for par, maybe not, but probably not for me. And so all of a sudden you look back at your scorecard and you're like, yeah, I've bogeyed for the last six holes. And it's because I can't hit it straight off the tee. So yeah, that part was a little bit frustrating. That's why I like the other round I played since we spoke was a scramble at Langdon Farms, which is couldn't be more opposite of what the Riverside best ball is. Granted, a best Spray ball wherever a you bit. want at Langdon. Basically. Yeah, and we're playing the white tees there in Langdon, as everybody knows, like it's a little bit more open. So I'm trying to diversify the portfolio in terms of where I play, the, how I play. But one thing remains consistent, a couple things that I'm a little loose with my driver. But at the end of the day, I also believe that the crew you're playing with matters so much more than what you shoot that day. And I'm trying to remember that a little bit more. Although, granted, maybe that's part of why I am so terrible recently is because I don't care enough. But <laughs> if that's the way it is and I still have fun with friends, then I guess I'll live with that. So, Well, it is funny because I feel like usually people go the opposite, right? Like the less they care, the better they play because you're not yeah. putting that internal pressure on know. yourself. I've never been that way. I, to me, it always, if the more I care, the more I focus, the more I pay attention, the better I play. And if I'm caught up having conversations and beers, you're like, oh, chunk the chip, whatever. I don't usually play better because of that. It's a slippery slope, man. I mean, cause I I've been in moments where you make a stupid double cause you just four putted or three putted, you know, after a, a decent chip shot or whatever it is. And you stand on the next tee and I've had instances where I'm like, okay, concentrate and then i hit it straight i hit it on the green and make a par birdie and i'm and i'm like yeah that's what you need to do so like that's where i do think that focusing a little bit more can be a benefit but dude it can get slippery from there because if you're taking everything really serious it, yeah. it can get worse and then it's not as much fun and then guys don't really enjoy playing with you so if i'm going to err on one side of the like if i'm taking a little too serious or not serious enough I'm always going to fall in the not serious enough camp because I just think golf at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. You know, we're out having a yeah. good time. That's all that matters. You're not, you're, you're spot on on that. I think it's about finding that balance. I usually will break it down in a round of if I, if I have it going and it's one of those days, like I'm hitting the ball. Well, I'll, I'm just a little more quiet. Like I'm just, I'm going to kind of be in my own little bubble and maybe walk ahead of the groups after a tee shot or something. Like I just kind of want to be in my, but if it's a day where I clearly I'm like, all right, we all have those days where you're like, dude, I can't find a fairway. I can't make a putt. I'm just, hey, I'm hanging with the boys. We're cracking a beer. Turn the music up a little bit. Like, I'm just there to have a good time and the sun yeah. shines out and I can find enjoyment in that. And so I think it's finding like, what round is it going to be and kind of following the path of that round wherever it's going to take you. I got back up to Elk Ridge this weekend, which reminded me, we still need to do our listener day out there because it's awesome. But it was my first time playing there with the Gorge Winds. And holy hell, brother. It, I what? mean, it was like 40 miles an hour and opposite. We were on 17 and the flag pin blew out of the hole as we were hitting our approach shot. Wow. And so we had to drive the cart up, put the, because we we're like, where the hell is the pin? It's an elevated green. Like, I don't know where I'm going here. Had to go drive up there and put the pin back in. That course is an absolute monster when the wind is blowing like that. It was nuts. And is that normal up there? I know in the gorge it can blow, but like, did the guys in the shop or whatever say that it was particularly windy that day? They seem to think it was a little bit stronger than usual. Now, the only other time I played in a Northwest golf guys event there last summer and there was no wind. And yeah. so it was like a culture shock for me. That was the first time I played there last summer. I'm like, dude, this is a great course. Yeah. I've been four iron out the fairway. It's a little tight. Like, let's just have some fun and play great. Yeah. And then this weekend it was like, 
just blown, hitting, you know, a, a driver 210 yards into win up a hill of a par five does not make for an easy round, but it was fun. I, the, the views out there, man, second to none, it was really cool. So it was good to get out to Elk Ridge again. Very cool. Um, anything else been going on in your golf game? You got any other rounds in lately? Any other, any other rounds coming up? You know, what, one other thing I wanted to share with you dirt and share with listeners, like I mentioned, like Riverside versus Langdon farms and how different those golf experiences were, but the common thread was just getting out and hanging out with your friends. I helped uh, run a golf tournament for alumni of my fraternity. I was a Sigma Chi at U of O and got together with another fraternity brother to organize that tournament. And we ended up getting 68 players. I think we had in year one, just kind of threw it together and Langdon for people that have played in a tournament there, they're the best at, at tournament execution and operations. But what it made me think about is it's not that hard to organize a golf tournament like that. I'm not saying I'm going to do it every week and it's my new job or whatever, but it didn't take a whole lot of skill to do that. It took a little bit of determination and, and some follow through, but it just, it made me think how much fun everybody had seeing people that they hadn't seen in a long time. And if anybody's in a fraternity, you know what I'm talking about? Like those were your, those were your bros. And even just, if you were in college and you had your old good buddies, those are, those are really good times from college. Right. And that just sort of fly away with the wind. You just lose touch with people. And so it reminded me to be intentional about connecting with someone that I don't get to see as often and and use golf as the conduit for reconnecting with that person. And I know it's kind of deep thoughts with Eric right now, but it, that playing it. in that event and how much fun we had, it just reminded me that it's not that hard to reach out to people. It's more of just having the, just the determination to make it happen and the creativity to find a course that works. I feel like golf, we kind of just settle into our little bubble and we don't really get outside of that. And it was so fun seeing guys that I never get to see and to do it through golf was pretty awesome. So people listening are probably, there's probably a story that you could share of that, a similar moment. But if you haven't had that, I would encourage you out there to reach out to that person that you haven't seen in a while through golf. I, that's a great story, man. I love that. And I, I, it's funny you bring it up because I was thinking the other day, one of the things that I enjoy most about this time of year and about playing golf is the fact that it gives me a reason to see all my friends <laughs> because I, I mean, we're just getting to that age. I, I'm obviously a little bit younger than you, but basically every single one of my friends is either married kids, multiple kids, full-time. Like it's just, you don't have a lot of time on your hands. And so maybe you bump into somebody at an Oregon game and you tailgate a little bit, or you go to a blazer game, one random night, that kind of stuff. Fan fantasy but, draft night and stuff. Fantasy draft night. You have, but you know, I, back in the day, you go back seven, eight years ago, it's like, dude, Friday night, let's go get beers. Okay. Those days are gone. They're not happening anymore. And so it's funny to me that I don't it, basically everybody in my friend circle plays golf. I don't hardly see them at all from September through April. And then May comes and it's like, I've seen a buddy of mine like four weeks in a row now. Cause we just, it's like, Hey, will you want to play Saturday? Sure. Let's go play Saturday. Yeah. And it's a way for them to get out of the house for me to get out of the house. And it's a great way to stay in touch, but it's really the way that my friendships keep going is through golf and seeing them on a regular basis this time of year. So I, totally. I love that story. I love that, that anecdote. It's a great note. Always reach out to people. Um, what'd you make of Michael block this weekend? I know it's been probably the number one sports story in the world. So not much unique for us to add, but it was hard to not be captivated by seeing a club pro make the top 15 of the PGA. Well, and what's amazing is that in this day, in, in this era now with social media and how quickly people can react to stuff and how quickly hype happens 
He plays well on Thursday. I remember seeing an on-course interview with SVP that he had, you know, CBS and ESPN, they do those new, like put the AirPods in and have an on-course interview with him on Friday. I feel like he was like on the back nine or, you know, it was looking like he was going to make the cut. And I don't know if you remember that conversation, but he was talking about like one of the, one of his life goals was to be the low PGA pro in the PGA championship. Cause he'd played in a lot of tournaments, but hadn't done that yet. And so like that takes it up another notch of like, oh, I want to root for this guy. And then he makes the cut. And then it's like it just kept going up another level, another level, another level. And then by the time, dude, you get to Sunday on whatever that was, 15, and he dunks it in the hole. It's like, dude. this doesn't even seem real. I mean, it was unbelievable. This is a Disney movie. Randy Quaid or movie. Dennis Quaid. Somebody's Kevin Costner. <laughs> somebody's playing this guy in a Disney movie. Like, I felt like I was watching that Quaid, the, the rookie of the year or whatever, where the old high school coach becomes the relief pitcher and goes and plays for the Rays. Like, yeah, I felt like I was watching like that's a Disney movie, man. Yeah. He was the first uh, or, or the best finish for a club pro at the PGA since 1986. He finished inside the top 15. So he's automatically invited back next year. He qualified for next year's at Valhalla. He got an invite to the tournament. This like tournaments are calling him left and right. This dude is having a moment. And it's funny that I almost I disagree with a lot of people, and maybe that's just because of how I follow the sport. He became the number one story. Was he the number one story for you this weekend? Or was it Brooks getting because five is a getting to five, man? Like there's only I think I saw the number since World War II. There's like 10 or 11 guys that have five majors, and that's it. And Brooks getting there, that's a pretty marquee milestone. Well, and then not only that, but you just have an LIV player winning a major. And so that was yeah. a story. And so that's a that's a tough one. They're they're two completely different stories, right? You've got the Cinderella story, this like Disney movie kind of excitement on one end, and then you've got the professional golf side of it. So I think my answer to that dirt would be that they were both they were both big stories. But I think if you had to pick one that was probably more people are talking about, is it has to be Michael Block, right? That's I mean, true. Yeah, I just think that it's uh, that that was so incredible and. Like I said, the, the amazing thing about it for me was just that it kept going up and up and up. You know, you just you normally with stories like that, like he eventually shoots 80 or whatever. And they the CBS pans to him hugging his caddy on the last hole for how fun it was. And oh, played horrible on Sunday, but it was what a great week. But it just kept getting bigger. And then like he's doing remember when he got that call from the Colonial Tournament director and oh, so like cool. getting invited to Colonial this week. And I mean. It, it was pretty wild. We'll never see anything like that again. Probably not. We were, I was on the air Friday morning and he kind of was becoming a story because he was like three under, like one shot off the lead on his back nine or maybe making the turn on his second round. When he, I don't know if you saw the highlight of his cold shank on the par three that actually ended up getting a huge break because it like hit a tree and kicked back in, in play because it would have been out of bounds and him making double bogey there. And you're like, dude, like, I know that feeling. We've all had that round where you're like four under through 10. You're like, today's the day. And then you double bogey and it all crumbles from there. Like he, I thought that was going to be his moment. It was all going to fall, fall apart. Kudos to him because I, how you cold shank a tee shot like that in a tournament like that, recover from it, that you got some balls to be able to do that, man. What did you think about the video that they were showing of all the people back at his home club in the bar, just <laughs> hug like around the TV? I just think we need to – is Ray – how's Ray's game at Eastmoreland? Because I want to go hang out in that bar while he's playing in the PGA Championship. Like, how cool would that be? Whether you're a private club guy, a public – like, we all know the PGA pro – or the club pros at, at, at public courses as well. There's great teachers of the game out there all over the place. Like, 
knowing a guy and having it be connected back to the course that you play at and hanging in that bar, I, I can't even put into words how cool that would be. The other thing that's incredible, and by the way, yes, if Ray Camella were in the top 15 at the PGA Championship, I would be down at Eastmoreland around hole. the TVs going nuts. <laughs> but the other thing that's just incredible to me that I keep thinking about is how unique that story is to golf. You know, you see these players that make it to the NBA finals as an undrafted free agent, but those guys weren't at home on their couch two weeks before the NBA finals. Like they were on the team. They're obviously surprising. They're doing well, but Michael Block was on the lesson tee two weeks ago. Granted, he had qualified for the PGA and he's a really decorated professional player. So it's not like it came out of complete nowhere, but for the most part, you expect these PGA pros to not really do a whole lot. And it's the PGA championship does it as sort of just like an honor to their, the PGA of America program. Right. So like that, that to me was the other thing I was thinking about was like how unique this is to golf that you can have a story like that. And you really, you would never be able to have a story like that in any other sport. Maybe back in the old days, you'd have some kicker or punter, like in the Super Bowl that <laughs> they recruited because their punter got injured. But, he, but nowadays the way that, that all that works, there's always someone with some pedigree that would come in and be their replacement. I don't know. Golf's an individual sport, so it's hard to compare it to team sports. But I, that was the other thing. I was just curious what you thought about just how unique that story is to golf golf. I think it sums up why we love the sport is that there's always, I think for all of us in our games, there's always hope that it could get better. And, and to your point on Michael Block, I think that was his fifth PGA championship that he had played in. So he'd been there before. It wasn't something new. He'd been around these kind of events and playing with PGA pros, but never in a, like th that had obviously never happened. And so for it to all come together, I think that was so cool. And just the, the idea of golf that Michael Block, who is a club pro in California, can tee it up on the same course, same conditions, same measurements, no handicaps in play, and absolutely smoke the number one golfer in the world, John Rahm, who barely made the cut. I think he ended up at, you know, six, seven over. I can't remember where his final number was. Like Justin that, Thomas didn't do Justin that Thomas well. was like 13 over par. Like he is, he took on the best golfers in the world and he ended up finishing 15th. And to beat the list of guys that are behind him, I just, it's what we love about the sport that on any given day, I mean, we love that about the NFL, right? Like any given Sunday, anybody could win golf is the same way. Like any, on any given day, you could have your game and somebody won't have their game. And for him to beat John Rahm by the number of strokes he did the masters champ, a lot of people's favorite coming into this weekend. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. To your point, you, you will never see that in another sport. And that's what made it so unique. Unless it's like Tony Danza, the garbage kicking field goal kicker Disney movie yeah. for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles back in the day, man. It's it's a one-off, dude. That's an cool. actual Disney movie. We're talking about yes. a real thing that should be a Disney movie. And like, this one will be. Give it time. I can't wait to see who plays Michael Block in the Disney movie. That dude is having a moment and he's going to ride this wave. He's not going anywhere for a while. As you mentioned, he's playing this week uh, at Colonial. So really cool. PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka uh, gets the win. Uh, a quick teaser. So uh, Pat McCabe coming up in a moment. At the end of the pod, we got a special announcement for you. So stick around through Pat. Uh, we got something coming up that we've been trying to plan for a while. We'll give you the details on it. Uh, that is coming up here at the end of the podcast. All right, excited for this one on the Grip City Golf Podcast. A good friend of mine and a guy that I've gotten to know over the years, hopping on the pod for the first time, Pat McCabe. He is the executive director of the American Express Tournament uh, down in La Quinta. Pat, before we get to anything, because I got a million things I want to ask you, got to start where we start with everybody. Handicap. Uh, what sticks are you playing right now? And where is Pat McCabe's home course? Ooh, guys, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. 
three powerful hard-hitting questions right out the gate. Uh, let's see. What, first, uh, what am I playing? Callaway, Callaway guy. Okay. Uh, love. I uh, got some Apex irons. I think's uh, a rogue driver. Um, pretty much Callaway through the through the bag. They support a lot of our golf tournaments. So got to go there. You, you sound like a sponsored athlete there, Pat. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. He's got the Callaway thing on his uh, on the collar of his golf polos. Just so you know, we played <laughs> oh a couple weeks collar. ago. He's got Callaway logos all over the place, man. Big shout out, sure. Um, <laughs> Twelve-ish, I think. Um, I keep that, you know, a little inflated just to make sure my annual member guest partner, you know, I could shoot eighty-two with the best of them. So, but twelve, I'll be twelve. Okay, uh, it's fun. I got guys. I got two kids under three, so I'm not playing very much golf. I'm on the road half the year. Um, I keep my golf, my my uh, handicap with Northwest Golf guys. Good friend, obviously, probably of the program, Travis. Oh yeah. But um, I just love I love playing city golf here in Portland, East Moreland and Rose City. And look, I'm very fortunate to be able to to make some calls out to friends here locally or elsewhere. But uh, I'm not a I'm not stuck at a club. Maybe in a few years, kid get older. I'll, uh, I'll join a nice club here in Portland. So Pat, I know you're an East Coast guy, but you've been in this part of the country for a while and you you travel quite a bit now. So you've you've played some golf in different corners of the country. I'm curious how you think the city of Portland golf portfolio stacks up. It's uh, it's strong. Honestly, I, I, you know, I grew up in Connecticut outside of Hartford, did some time in the Boston area. Obviously they've got some great tracks there in the Northeast, both public and city, but it's, I mean, the, the scene at East Moreland, the scene at, at Rose city, Heron lakes, um, you know, you get on the outskirts and there's just so much like fun stuff, right. And an hour drive to Gearheart. Not that that's Portland. Um, it's strong. It's fun. It all depends on what kind of vibe you're looking for. Are you looking to get your teeth kicked in at the Heron Blue? Or are you looking to uh, heckle people at East Moreland? Is that 10 or 1 now? What is that? 10. They flipped it back to 10. Yeah, they got okay. the OG. The OG. One, right? Yeah. Love that scene. But, yeah, it's strong. The great city tracks. Um, I, You know what? I, I joke with my, like, regular group of guys. I love Rose City. I really do. I, I was, like, pleasantly surprised when I went out there for the first time. They've kept it in pretty good shape. That whole um, the 13 or 14 on the backside when it looks like you're going to hit the high school. I'm like, that is municipal city golf in a nutshell. Well, and they can get their greens rolling pretty good. They've got a couple of tournaments and they have a strong men's club. It's kind of the sleeping giant because Dirt and I have talked in the past. It kind of sometimes feels like Rose City is that stepchild that doesn't get enough respect and doesn't get the as good a Christmas presents every year. But then you hear stories about, like you're talking about, that it that is like legit municipal. And if that's what you're into, and totally. if they get the greens rolling good, like isn't that what it's all about? I um I do say though the only thing that both them and East Marlin, I haven't got out to either this year. Like the trees are getting big out there, boys. So they need to just like trim them a little. Dirt, you saw me play. I I tend to spray it, although it's pouring rain. Uh, <laughs> if they just trim some of those trees, you're hitting through shoots, you know, on like the that par five going up the hill coming home and you're like where oh, yeah. man? where do you hit it it's like yeah. 450 and you got to hit it through like an eight yard window i'm like what are we doing here i will say you, uh, you we got out and golfed a couple of weeks ago we timed it perfectly because we played on a day where it was like 48 degrees and raining nonstop the entire round and i'm pretty sure right. like the the next day was when it was like 80 degrees and all of a sudden it hasn't rained since then so we we missed it by like a, a small window when did you pat like when did you get into golf is this a lifelong thing a family thing like how did this this journey yeah. begin for you i've been doing it forever been fortunate my first job 
uh, as a kid when I was about 13 and a young little guy. I was I worked at a golf course in uh, in Farmington, Connecticut, right outside of Hartford. My first job was cleaning clubs at a private club. Uh, and believe it or not, I was wearing a shirt and tie to work to clean golf clubs. <laughs> I tell that story a lot because it's it's amazing. And I was 13. And I was introduced to you know, prominent men and women in the golf business and, and learned how to shake their hand and look them in the eye. And uh, I'll never forget the gentleman's name. John Murphy was the pro. He was he was the pro's pro, right? He owned the shop. He was there for 50 years. He knew every member's name and their kid's name. Um, and it just sort of evolved, been around it forever and now fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. So that's amazing. So Pat, you grew up in Connecticut and then went to college at Penn State interned at Bandon Dunes. Tell us how that connection was made. I mean, that had to have been a big move for you to go from sure. East Coast all the way out to the Southern Oregon coast. Another small world, right? It's all about connections and who you know. My mother was in the printing business and Mr. Kaiser, obviously recycled paper greetings, uh, printing business. One of my mom's clients like designed some of Mr. Kaiser's greeting cards. No way. And so this was back in what, 05? Bandon was just getting on the map with I think they had three tracks then. She reached out to Mr. Kaiser, put me in touch with John Grothy, who's who's still up here, a good friend of mine, who was the DOG at the time. And it was uh, I was 21 years old and single and living in beautiful band in Oregon and uh, loving every minute of it, playing a ton of golf and working my butt off. And um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a blast. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't trade those eight months for anything. When you when you try and sell people like family and friends back on the East Coast about Bandon Dunes, I mean, do they believe you? How many of you enticed to come out West? Because that had to have been kind of, as you mentioned, you're starting. I mean, that's early on in the Bandon days, but now wow. to where it is now where you got, what, five courses in the top 15 in the world. Do they believe you when you tell them how many have come out and made the trip out West? Yeah, they do now. I mean, I think back then, again, it was 05 and it was just getting on the map. I mean, they had lodging and they had. They were building Old Mac at the time. So Trails was the newest addition that had just come on board. Um, I had a few buddies visit, but certainly they didn't quite get it until uh, in 06, I was there was the Curtis Cup. So it was sort of the first time I think that was on TV with the women. Um, people then saw it. They played Pacific Dunes and were like, holy cow. And you see those views. And I remember seeing, I'd never been, gosh, growing up in the East Coast, I'd never been west of like, New York. And then all of a sudden I'm in Bandon, Oregon, thinking it was going to be I'm 21. I'm like, it's going to be great. This and that. And it was like, oh boy, there's the little Lloyd's abandoned and all the, uh, <laughs> Eric, you were there. I'm sure yeah, totally. you visited those uh, establishments. It was a, it was a culture shock, but um, now all my buddies are like, when's our next trip? When's our next trip? So do you, do you go regularly now, Pat? I don't. Again, two kids under three. Yeah. Um, we had a trip planned with friends right around when COVID hit. So that was, I think, April of 20. We had uh, we had eight guys lined up from all over the country coming in, most of which was their first time. And and then uh, my wife and I welcomed our firstborn in 20 and now our second uh, just earlier this year. So it's uh, we'll get there soon. I, I love it. Those guys are, are great down there. So so, so while we're still on Bandon, I got to ask you to rank the courses at Bandon Dunes. I would say a little jaded. I've yet to play sheep. Um, we'll take that one out. But you can okay. put preserve in there, too. We've had some people say that preserve is belongs in that conversation. For sure. For sure. Um, Bandon Dunes, the OG I love. It was the first course I played when I was there. When you make that turn on four fairway, is it? Totally. Holy cow. So that I think Bandon, 
I would say trails uh, is two. Um, love it. Greens were at the time the best condition on property. As interns, we kind of had the most access there because people tended to shy away from it, right? They wanted to play the ocean courses. Fine by us, still killer. Pacific three, uh, Old Mac four. Old Mac's cool, but it's just big greens, tough. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're all tough, but it, they're all so good. It's, it's so hard. People ask me that. It's like, you know, how do you judge them? But Bandon's got a soft spot in my heart. I love that golf course. It's really good. OG Bandon. It is, it is so hard to beat that. There's no doubt about it. And you go from like Bandon Dunes, and then we ended up getting connected because you worked and ran the, the Winco Foods Portland Open for years. And so yeah. I kind of have like multiple offshoots on that, where first off, just how that how that experience was like getting the the opportunity to run tournaments. I know you did more outside of just the one being in Portland. Yeah. Um, but then on top of that, the follow up almost is there, there's kind of a gaping hole now on our golf community because that was such an established event at the end of August. And we obviously had the live event last year and that's not coming back. But so just how that journey was and what that process was like. And then is there anything that's going to fill that hole? Because I, I sure as hell miss it in August. Yeah, the Winco was a lot of fun. Uh, first year was what it ran from 2014 to 21, I believe. Uh, it was a heck of an event. Obviously played at what I think is probably the best golf course in town, right? Played at which I know the the other tour. I'm a PGA Tour guy, right? So I'll say the other tour. Um, yeah. Played the composite, um, but which stacks up on its own. And we had some some great, um, great events. It was it was awesome. The cool part about it was it was the regular season finale, as you remember, right? So like going through the archives of names who got their cards out there, that's what we were trying to promote. Like they're the next stars and in, in the future of the game, which we all knew it. We lived it. We breathed it. We're golf nerds, but Joe public didn't necessarily quite grasp onto that. But I mean, our first year in 14, I think we gave cards to Finau, Justin Thomas, Daniel Berger, like the list goes on and on um, hundreds of wins. And that corn Ferry tour is such a strong product. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Heck of a title sponsor. Heck of a, a deal out there. We had some great concerts. We had great golf. Um, you know, the, the Portland scene is still strong. I mean, the women play out here every single year. Yeah. I'd encourage uh, golf fans to go out check check that out at another great golf course at Columbia. Um, there's a senior women's, I think, open this year, which, again, everyone, they, I mean, when you get to that level, they're so good. So just kick our butts guys so go watch them play and, and go in to walk the, the fairways at waverly is always a treat but um ah oh god i'd love to say there'd be an, an event i would be the first to be a part of it um i would love to be a part of it certainly i call portland home now but um it's tough man you know the schedule right so we run the mx in january we ain't gonna bring the west coast swing here in january <laughs> so could there be an opposite field event could there be Another corn fairy, I think it starts obviously with sponsorship and starts with a whole laundry list of things. But I think the city would show up, as we know, um, for the right event because it's uh, these guys are really good. Even the corn fairy guys are great. I mean, it's it's crazy how good these guys are. So it's funny you telling that story about that first Winco because I remember being out there and it was kind of my introduction into corn fairy golf and just randomly getting done with the show and then like, all right, I'm just going to go walk around. Let's check this out. I'd never played pumpkin before. So it was kind of my first glimpse into the course and just random by happenstance ended up following Tony Finau for the entire back nine with no clue. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't know exactly who he was. I knew he was a, you know, somebody had mentioned he might be good on the PGA tour. It was basically his family 
in yeah. me and my co-host. And we were, there was like nine of us just following him around. And I look back on that, like, God, what a cool opportunity, not knowing what Tony Finau was going to turn sure. into, but this dude that was just bombing it down there, like, holy crap, this guy's a really good golfer. I mean, I remember giving him his card and his whole family was there. And, um, I don't know if he had had children yet, or maybe just his first child, but all his cousins, nephews, and uncle, it was like dozens of them. And I don't know if you were there for the ceremony, but they showed up and as is like a, a tradition of congratulatory, right? I mean, I mean, he's of Samoan descent, and um, but they, they had candy lays, right? So where they had like, they, they made these lays and they knew Tony was going to get his cards. I'll send you some pictures. It's pretty wild. He's, Tony and his whole crew with like a bunch of Jolly Ranchers around his neck. It was hilarious. <laughs> Pat, do you think that Pumpkin Ridge can host a PGA Tour event? Just like operationally, having been there involved with that Corn Ferry event, I'm just curious your point of view on kind of the the politics aside from whether and the scheduling of like, will the PGA Tour ever do it? Do you think that just operationally and from a venue standpoint, could 100%. Pumpkin do it? Yeah. I mean, look, you've got you've got the parking, you've got two separate clubhouses, albeit they're not large, but you've got a beautiful locker room. Um, you've got the space to build stuff. I, I think actually from a, from an operational perspective of like running a golf tournament, Ghost sets up a little better for like hospitality structures and venues. And I say that because Right. I mean, the women used to play out there. I remember the old Safeway days. Uh, they got good crowds um, right there on 18. And then you look over to 14, is it something like that? You've got the entrance experience. They had that big beer garden out there. So, I mean, without a doubt. And it's it's paradise out there. There's no homes to contend with. Like we have a PJ West down in La Quinta where I got every single inch of fairway is covered by homes. So if I... <laughs> I put a scoreboard or a generator up, I, my phone's ringing 18 times. So that makes it easy. And, um, you know, I, I did go out there for the event in June last year and you saw that, right. There's room for people. There's room for cars, you know, one lane in one lane out, obviously it's a little tough, but I mean, back in, I wasn't around, but of course, you know, the reason I'm in this business was, uh, it was Jeff Sanders. He brought me on board 15, whatever years ago. And, you saw what he was able to do with his team back in 96 with the AM and the open and, and stuff like that. So hundred percent, it, it definitely couldn't be the best venue in town to do it. And then do you think it'll actually happen? I'd love to say yes. I, um, optimistically, yes. Realistically, prop maybe, uh, but I think it's, and it might not be a, look, it might not be a full fledged true. And especially all the changes going on with golf guys, right? Like, the elevated events, the regular schedule, but it could be a, um, you know, with a new schedule and they're doing the elevated and they're going to have quote unquote, like opposite field events. It could be one of those. Certainly. I think it's for the right company, the right sponsor. That's, that's where it starts, right? If someone's adamant, passionate about it um, as you know, the Winco's of the world or the American expresses of the world, like that's, you got a company who's into golf and wants to do it, then someone will figure out how to make it happen. And hopefully, hopefully I'm that guy. We'll see. Yeah. You put the money behind it you build it. They will come, right. You got to have the money first, but yeah. let's get to the Amex because it's interesting. It's one of the tournaments that I enjoy most every year. Like I get to this time of the golf calendar and the non major of like, you know, all right, maybe I'll watch a little bit here or there. I'll see what a leaderboard looks like on a weekend. My golf hunger is so strong early on in the calendar 
that it, you know, we we're in such crappy weather here that you will, I love watching the tournament of champions. And then you guys are like right out of the gate in January. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, people always tell me in radio, like, God, you, you got a dream job. You work three hours a day. You talk sports. And I do, I love my job. And then I look at you and I'm like, dude, that's a, that dude's running a PGA tour event. So, I mean, just what is that experience like? I mean, John Rom won this year. I imagine that was yeah. pretty darn cool. Like, what is that like running a PGA tour tournament? It's fun. I mean, it doesn't come without its headaches as all jobs, right? It's and people do joke to me like, you must play golf every day. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Those um, people have no idea. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's, it's super rewarding. It's super fun. It's every day is different, right? Like we've, we've got a great team of, of core people. We've got uh, come tournament week kind of full-time staff in some form or fashion, 35 people strong plus a thousand volunteers, right? It takes a whole village and army to, to do it, but yeah, it's rewarding. It's, it's fun. You know, the, the mission behind most tour events, we're not, we're no different is of course, giving back to charity, which is really cool too. Right. I mean, uh, annually we're giving back over a million bucks to local Coachella Valley charities. So that's fun. And you, I, I get jaded though, a little bit. Right. I mean, I got the chance to interview John on the 18th green on Sunday and, that was awesome, but it's like it kind of onto the next one. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it comes with its highs and its lows and its stresses, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. And I'm fortunate to be up here in Portland and in the summer and my wife and I and kid get to spend four months in La Quinta. So I can't really, I'm a, I'm a young snowbird guys. I can't right at the time you want to get out of this weather, you're heading down <laughs> to La Quinta, man. You won the lottery. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people in Portland do that. A lot of people get down there to play some golf, but Pat goes down there to work. So it's a little different, but at least he's <laughs> yeah, in the sunshine. Yeah, I do. Uh, Eric, I skew the age range though, for sure. I'm 38. Right. And uh, again, but it's fine with me again, the two kids, the, the restaurants close about eight o'clock down there. The sun sets about four. And uh, when it's not tournament week, it's, it's all right to be in bed by about eight 30. So Pat, I want to ask you a question about this is a little bit of a divergence, maybe from your expertise, like operating a PGA tour event, but maybe it's connected and, and dirt. And I have talked about this in the past. I've BS with my friends about this in the past. When I think of the American express, one of the first things that comes to mind is how low guys go. Every hole is a birdie hole and guys are like, you know, 25 to 30 under par and stuff like that. And it reignites oftentimes the debate about should we roll back the golf ball? Our course is too easy for the pros. I was just curious your point of view on that topic. And then also as it relates to the American, American Express, do you think that that event would be more successful if the winner was nine under par or 10 under par versus 25, 26, 27? I'll flip it. You know, when you go to golf tournaments, you want to see birdies or doubles. Right. I mean, you go to a football game, you want to see touchdowns or a field goal fest. So I think birdies are fun. I think um, that 25, 26 under even our, I mean, half the weeks out on tour guys are winning going that low. Um, I mean, look, even the PGA this week, that golf course did Brooks get up to 10 or 11 at one point is like, Holy, you can't defend golf courses. We love birdies. We have such a unique format too, in our pro-am. So that, ties into it a little bit, right? The pins are cut in the middle of the greens the first three days because we have four players, two of which are average Joe amateurs playing with the pros. That kind of takes into a part, but birdies are fine. And it's so hard to defend golf courses these days that um, I'm, I'm good with it. And I 
uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And and we joke down there, it's, it's kind of dome golf, but that also is what helps our field become so strong because Hawaii is windy, it's hilly. It's if, if guys are starting the year, and we had four of the top six in the world last year, thankfully, because they come, they've got relationships in the desert and uh, they are guaranteed three competitive rounds early in the year. And they know it's going to be 72 and uh, no win typically, at least during the daytime. So um, I, I like it. Bring it on. It's, it's fun. It's a good confidence booster for the rest of the year, too, because you can go low. What, what did Rom get to this year? Was he 28 under? 26 ish. Something yeah. like I, I tell a story. It was the year of COVID. I'll never forget this. Um, Siwoo Kim won that year. So that was 21 and Patrick Cantlay shot 62 on Sunday and didn't win the golf tournament. <laughs> 62 on Sunday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I shot 62 last week and then I made the turn, you know, I made the turn. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually about through 12. I'm at 62 feeling great, man. We're going in the right direction. Let, and, let me ask you. Go ahead, go ahead. Too, right? Like if I don't know if you guys have been down to the desert, PJ West, it's it's one thing if you're playing from 63, 6400 yards, but you throw it to 74 and you're like, I don't know. Well, what's funny is that people say that what the stadium course is is hard at, at again at like that 63, 6400 yards. And not only are the guys on tour playing it at a thousand yards longer than that but it's one of the easier venues on tour. So like, yeah. yes, I've played those courses. I played the stadium course. I thought it was pretty hard and yeah. I, it's just hard for me to understand that. Like, how does that work? Like, it just shows you how much better those guys are that not only do they play it at so much longer than what I just played it at and what I was complaining about it being hard, but it's actually easy for them. It it's makes me crazy. wonder like what I would shoot at Oak Hill for, at the PGA, I, I don't think any of us would break a hundred. No, you go spend a driving range. You go spend a day at a driving range on a Tuesday at a tour event. You know what? I mean, it's wild. Yeah. Like it's, it's to see these guys grinding, hitting balls. I know Keith Mitchell called into your show dirt, you know, last week during the PGA and he was two hours into hitting however many golf balls and he's going to go play nine and he's going to go work out and he's going to go. I'm like, it's just, it's a full-time job. I mean, you heard, I heard an interview the other day with Michael Block, obviously the, the famous Mr. Block. Um, he's like, just still in awe. He's like, do you see how Rory hits the golf ball? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he had a couple of lines where he's like, Rory's hitting a nine iron into a par three. I'm hitting a, you know, five or, you know, six iron or whatever. Trying to, yeah, is Michael is Block going to get an invite to Lock to next year? Is Pat sending an invite? Oh boys, come on. You know, you guys are, you're not Southern California media, but your media, come on out. We'll get you a press credential. We'll get you a media day action. Come on, it'll be fun. That might, I might have to take you up on that. That sounds pretty fantastic. I know we, we talk about two things on this pod from time to time. The PGA Tour has made so many changes, right? Like the last years, there's been these seismic shifts in golf in the world, and we don't need to rehash all of it. But two interesting sure. things I'm curious to ask you about, because it might affect your, the tournament that you run. There's the thought of going away from cuts on the PGA tour. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Cause that's one that I don't know if it's me like Clint Eastwood yelling at kids getting off my lawn. I'm like, I kind of push back at that a little bit. Like it's always been the way it's been. Uh, and then these elevated events where there's a bigger pool, bigger prize, and you can kind of guarantee certain number of players that are in there. Now you mentioned you had a great field last year for obvious yeah. reasons, but as a director, what do you make of those kind of changes that we're seeing on the PGA tour? Look, I think it's, I think change is good, right? And evolvement in the game is good. Um, 
we played for 8 million last year, three years ago, we played for 5.9. Right. So that's, it's only positive. I, I can't control that stuff. And, and certainly as the powers that be at the PGA tour, you got to kind of just trust that they're making the right decisions. The no cut thing is certainly tough. I will never go to that. I don't suspect again. I mean, but a big part of our event is, is our amateur experience, right? So if you mentioned Eric, you watched it growing up as a kid, it's the old Bob Hope, right? And um, celebrities and dignitaries, and now esteemed business professionals um, are playing the same course as the pros. And um, yeah, the no cut thing's tough. And, and it, it's a lot of it is um, is daylight too for us, right? In January, it gets dark at 4.30. So like, you gotta cut the guy, cause otherwise, and you go to one golf course. That's why we're on three golf courses because uh, they wouldn't get around in time. But I, I don't. Uh, it's tough for me. I'm always. I'm same with you. I'm always used to the way it's been, the way it has been, and yeah. sort of best stories in golf. I mean, you guys probably follow like Monday Q on Twitter and stuff like that of of the grinders, right? Of like an eight footer to make the cut on Friday afternoon is so compelling and like life changing. I mean, you see what Block did at the PGA this week, it would have taken what 1300 golf lessons to make 280 grand. So like that's not so good for golf. It's fun. I like some of the Nick Taylor's at Phoenix finishing top five. I mean, Nick's a hell of a player. He's the president's cup guy. And so um, I like a little bit of that again with growing up of, of being a corn Ferry tour tournament director, seeing their stories and the grind and the, what they're able to do. I, I always want to give guys shots. So I'll, uh, keep the cuts. And, and I like the elevated events this year because guys are still getting in. I mean, you look at the field, um, whether it be travelers or whether it be Phoenix, like some of the guys right off the corn fair are still getting in and getting their shot. So. Back to the cuts. I, I don't just my own opinion. I remember several, several years ago at Firestone that when it was a WGC event and there was no cut and it was one yeah. year where tiger was playing because he had won there 14 times in a row or whatever it was. And, <laughs> but he, he clearly wasn't the same player and there was no cut. And so it's like, he was like 25 shots behind. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I just remember seeing that and being like, it's a little bit embarrassing, but also kind of like, why, why not have a cut? I mean, so yeah. I, I just don't know. I, and I'm with you too, Pat, of like the, on that Friday afternoon, having to make that eight footer. Cause it means something like it's that, huge. That, that's worth something. Right. I think so. I mean, look, it's evolved. I think, uh, as I said a few minutes ago, competition is good, right? And so I take the stance of I can't do anything about the other tour. It forces me as a tournament director, as operator to get better, right? So like, whether it's amenities for the players or the fans, I want to make sure that uh, it's a great week for everybody. But I think they're here to stay. I mean, look, the purses are going up regardless of if they're elevated or not elevated. I mean, we're going up every single year. Um, they are in discussions. I think one of the, the good parts about next year is, is the spacing out of them. Right. So if you see this year, it was what, like masters to RBC to, it was like three in a row. Right. So I know that like a commitment from the tours uh, and the players too, is you can't play every single week. And so I think that that'll make it better for not only the elevated events, but also for the events that, that aren't uh, quote unquote elevated, they're still great golf tournaments, but you know, once you create a little bit more separation, that's part of the reason why our field was so strong, quite frankly, is the only other elevated event in January this past year on the PGA tour was, was the century. Yeah. And it wasn't another one until 
Phoenix. So like guys had to get in another start. So they came to us because, you know, a variety of different reasons, but one of which being they got to get reps, they got to keep playing. They got to fulfill their whatever 18 or 20 commitment. Um, so I think the spacing out is good. I think that um, getting the best players in the world all on the same platform is good on those fronts. And it just makes the majors that much more compelling. Obviously they've been great the first two this year. So I think they're here to stay. And um, we always got to just evolve uh, in, in golf and sport and business. So do you guys think at the American express Pat, that you see more of these golf tournaments, these PGA tour events that are creating, they're, they're trying to replicate what they've got going at the waste management, where they create an amphitheater on one, on one given hole. And it used to be that, that was the only tournament that did it. And now there's two or three or four, right? Have you guys yeah. ever talked about doing something like that? Yeah, we do. I mean, look, our kind of famous hole is 17. Uh, yeah. It's Island Green. It's very similar to 16 at Sawgrass. Or is it set? Yeah, 17 at Sawgrass. Island Green. So we have 30 or 40 hospitality units, a few thousand people. Phoenix is obviously a much bigger market than Palm Springs and, and La Quinta. So I did age it. demographics a little different there too. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what about like floaties out in the water there around the Island green? Ooh, like, I like it. Service? We'll just move our, know. we'll move our concerts out there. Uh, we'll put a, you know, but uh, yeah, I think it's look, we're an entertainment product. So anything you can do to keep people engaged, we can't control the inside the ropes that, you know, who's going to show up. All these guys are independent contractors at the end of the day. So um what can we do to make it fun and unique and we do concerts down in the desert which i know some events do phoenix does them as well they're they're off site but we do them right on the driving range which has been pretty fun um you always got to think of different ways to engage fans and, and spectators to come out and enjoy when's the uh, when's the monday qualifier next year for the amex so i can come be your michael block there is you know what so michael plays has played in like seven amexes and because uh, the section champion of the Southwest PGA of America gets in to both our event and farmers. Oh, so Michael, wow. yeah, Michael has played, I think he, believe it or not, he shot like 65 in the opening round last year. Um, so we, we, he's we, like a 10 time champion of the Southern Cal PGA section yeah, or something. Yeah. He, between him and another gentleman, Kyle Mendoza, who kind of like they tend to win it every year. So Michael's played a bunch uh, we don't have a Monday qualifier because of uh, because of like our pro-am component and stuff like that. So uh, we got some sponsor exemptions, though. I hey, mean, hey, you will get, you know, I saw you play the day. You hit some bombs, <laughs> you know, I don't see. I'll rock an Amex logo on the shirt. No worries. Sure. I'll be like Keith Mitchell. I'll remember every single one of my uh, one of my sponsors once I wrap up the week. You got anything else, Eric, on the Amex you want to ask? I just want to know when you're going to bring a tournament to Portland, Oregon. I think that that would be your opportunity, Pat, to bring it back home. I know you're from Connecticut, but bring it back to where it all kind of started for you with Jeff Sanders. I just feel like the writing's on the wall. And you could still run the tournament down there in the desert. Like you said, we're not going to have this in January. So, like, we'll have it in July. We'll bring the PGA Tour to Portland, Oregon. It just feels like the picture there is there. We just need to make it happen. I uh, I like it. If you have the right company who is interested in spending that type of money, let's uh, set up a meeting. Well, uh, Dern and I will just be your 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 hype man. How about that? So yeah, I'll be your Flava Flav. I'll wear the clock. I'll walk around. What do you, you guys call them? What P one? Any P one out there want to spend a bunch of money on a golf tournament? Just uh, 
Let's go. Yeah. We're slowly building up the Grip City Golf uh, budget. So we got about 10, we got 10 bucks on it for now. We'll start okay. there. Lay, yeah. lay that first layer and we'll, we'll do a live show it. out there. We'll build a whole media package around it. We'll be It'll the hype people. Sure. It'll be great. Last one for you, uh, for me, Pat, I don't know if Erica has anything else. I did. I always want to ask this to people because I'm always curious. Uh, what's your, you, you worked at Band Dune, so you cannot yeah. answer that. Uh, dream golf trip, dream golf for some dead or alive. Ooh, dream golf trip. Um, so that just means any golf course is on the. Any, anywhere. Yes. St. Andrews. You can go anywhere you want to go. Uh, well, I will say that. Unfortunately, I had a scheduling conflict earlier this spring. I got the invite to Pine Valley and oh. had, to, had to push to a following year, but that'll come. What, what, what was that scheduling conflict? It had to have been the birth of a child, Pat. I mean, yeah. what else? What else could it have been? <laughs> um, Augusta, probably, right? Yeah. Would, be, would be there. I mean, and anywhere where you could just stay on property and kind of immerse yourself with like the experience, right? That's what Bannon has done so well because of the lodging and the taking the shuttle and you park your car, you don't need to, you know, so the put me in Butler cabin there at Augusta for a couple of days, I'll play part three. I'll play there. So I would okay. say that. I like that. And who's, who's rounding out your foursome on your golf trip? Who gosh almighty. Um, that is a good question. Um, you know, people, a lot of people listening right now are waiting to hear their name, Pat. So don't mess <laughs> this up. Don't screw sure. this up, Pat. We're friends, okay. man. We played golf a couple weeks ago. Andy, don't forget Johnson, me, dude. <laughs> Peterson, and uh, Abe Lincoln. How about that? <laughs> hey, that's a decent little foursome. I like that. You think Abe's any good at golf? He might be a stick. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I would have to, gosh, get like thirty people. It'd be too hard to pin it down. So yeah, four, four is four is a tough number. Well, dude, you are uh, you you work a dream job in my world, and I can't thank you enough for the hospitality over the years. I remember you showing me the old Golf Channel. RV years ago at the Winco and getting to walk through that and see what it was like. And it was awesome. Continued success. We look forward to being at the first Portland PGA stop. When you bring it here, we'll be your media partners. And thanks for having on the pod, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, kudos to you all for what you're doing too and, and supporting Portland golf. It's fun to talk. You know, I'm here in Portland working in Southern California. It's, ton, it's fun to talk. It's, it's incredible, like how much golf stuff is around here too, right? You talked about like the quality of the courses, but I think the boys at Jones are doing such cool stuff and Seamus and, you know, multiple event operators and obviously just Oregon as a whole, like we're, we're, we're very fortunate. So good for you for pumping up Oregon golf, Portland golf, and um, happy to be a part of it. So I appreciate it. Thanks man. Let's play golf next time. Love it. Let's do it. Dude. How, how cool would that be? to run a PGA tour tournament that has, I mean, that's, that's, that's up there for dream jobs. I wonder if it's like working in the golf business. Like I was, people had this automatic assumption that I played a ton of golf. And when I was at Bandon Dunes, I did play a lot with media, but in some of my other jobs, um, I, I wasn't playing golf every day. And so when people would say to me, oh man, they wouldn't say dream job, but they'd say, oh man, that must be so cool to play golf all the time. I'm like, no, it's not actually as great as you think. I kind of think, and I've, I've been around tournament operations enough, and I know you have too, that it's a grind, man, especially when you get down close to the tournament. There's a lot of stuff that can go sideways. You know, you and I complain about the weather because you, we just want to go play ourselves. But imagine if you're the a level that Pat's at and it starts raining or Granted, it's Palm Desert, so that probably doesn't happen. But you know what I'm saying of like sure. stuff tends to happen. Like it can be stressful, long days, long nights. I think that it's probably harder than a lot of people think. Um, a lot of responsibility, 
Um, but I, I do think it'd be a pretty fun gig. That's for sure. A lot of people, you got, you got to keep all the sponsors happy, all the players happy. You got to you make sure fans are having a good time. I mean, your point on the weather, too. I mean, I know it's not likely to have rain down there, but like you had frost delays on Thursday at the PGA Championship. All right. Plans thrown out the window. We're teeing off two hours later, going split tees. Like got to get rain all day or uh, all day Saturday. You got to make sure the course is dry. Like there's just a million things that go into it. To well, your point. And, and, and there's just so many things that it, especially at that high level where there's just a lot at stake. There's a lot of really influential people that want it to go a certain way. And for Pat to kind of be the maestro of that. That comes with a lot of responsibility and I, I, you know, he's earned it certainly. And I'm sure he gets a lot out of it and loves it. But I, I think that there's some days where he's thinking, man, this is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to live down in La Quinta for a couple months out of the year, maybe turns the frown upside down occasionally getting yeah. out of the rain, but what he is an adopted son of Portland, a really good dude and can't thank him enough for hopping on the pod. It's just a, a reminder. One of those things like you would never even contemplate, like you're watching the American express, John Rahm's 8,000 under par. He's going to win the tournament. You're like, dude, the guy running this tournament lives in Portland in Southwest Portland. So it's just another cool connection. Thought he'd be fun to have on the pod. Want to get to an announcement. So we've been uh, working on this now for a while. Very excited. So last year we mentioned a bunch on the pod. Like we love to do something to get listeners together, go play some golf. Like that's what we love. We love golf. We love playing golf and we love to be out there on the course with all of you. Plus and, we just uh, like the name of the grip city golf invitational. Like how cool yes. would it be to have that hat? <laughs> oh, I need that hat. I'm, I'm getting a trophy. We might have to get a trophy made for this. Like, this is going to become official. <laughs> that, that, so that was part of the motivation. Just so we're fully transparent here, dirt with everybody. Like we thought that it would be fun to like get a hat. We thought it would be fun to go play golf with people who listen to our show. Yeah. And we just thought it would be fun to get out and play golf at any time during the summer. Right. So that those were the motivations behind this whole deal. The motivation factors are those are those are it for sure. And we have found a great course to partner with. So if you listen to the pod uh, enough, you know that I'm a member out of Persimmon Country Club. Love the course out there. I'm going to get to that a little bit more here in a moment. But uh, they have agreed to host our Grip City Golf Listener Day slash tournament, whatever we're going to end up calling it. we got to come up with an invitation. I like that. That sounds a little more official. Uh, we're working on dates on the calendar right now. It appears that that golf tournament will be on Monday, August 7th. So go ahead and file that away in your calendar. You write it down, make sure you got the date. And they're going to block out a whole you know, group of tee times for us on that Monday afternoon to be able to play. We can hang out, grab some food, a couple of beverages afterwards. Uh, it's going to be a great time. If you've never played out there, it's an amazing course. It's in great shape. And it has views of basically every mountain in the Northwest. And so we're very excited to partner with them and to host that listener day. And you can all come out and try and beat Eric Peterson on Monday, August 7th, the six handicap EP. I'm a, I'm a net player for sure. Is, is this going to be, is this going to be a net tournament? I hope so. I don't but know. We I, got, we got to discuss the handicap rulings. As you're going through all this and making this announcement dirt and with a lot of details still to be determined it reminds me of the early days of liv where they didn't really know where they were going to have it of course we know where we're going to have it but we think we know the date um, but we don't really know the format we don't know who's going to play maybe that's this is writing on the wall that like this is going to be the next big thing is we're kind of like starting really small and unknown mysterious maybe not as controversial maybe we need to add some controversy into it i don't know 
I like uh, that. We could do that. There's, I can promise you there's no Saudi money behind this tournament that's taking place. That I, that I can promise you. We do, we instead, do of, have... instead of Saudi money, it's just Southeast Portland money. You know, that's right. The same. Southeast Portland money is funding this thing. So uh, they're going to be a great partner with us. So they've agreed to kind of uh, partner with us the rest of the year. And so we, we, I love it out there. They do have, by the way, so I, I am a member out there. And if you're looking for a place to join, like one of the things that has dawned on me, dude, and I maybe we can get into this on another episode. And I'm not just saying this because of the partnership with Persimmon. Golf prices at public courses is becoming a problem. Like it it is, it is (laughs) playing certain places around here. I'll show up and you check in, grab your range balls, and you're like, wait, excuse me, what? So I'm wondering if there's a future topic that we can get into on that because I do think that's continuing to go up. And it's one of the reasons why it pushes me to uh, the private club part of it because I'm paying a ton of ways to play golf and might as well have open tee times basically whenever I want them right now, they got great deals going on 50% off their initiation fee, which is normally about 3,500 bucks uh, only for golf and only 1200 for social. So you can get half off that. And if you join with another family or friend, uh, you each receive over 60% off your initiation fees and the monthly dues are only like 400 bucks. So it's the, by far the most affordable course in town. And I uh, wanted to shout them out because they're partners partnering with us on the pod and can't wait to have the listener day out there on Monday, August 7th, baby. Sweet. I can't wait, man. It's going to be a great time. Well, that'll do it. You got anything else you want to get to on this episode? No, I love the conversation today with Pat. It's so funny how small the golf world is and how someone who runs a PGA Tour event down in Palm Desert, which we all know about, that he's up in Portland. You know, it's crazy. And so it was so fun to talk with him. I want to play golf with him next time. Maybe he can play in the tournament coming up. There you go. Uh, We'll get him out there to Persimmon. I like that. But yeah, it just feels like with each episode, man, we're not exactly sure where it's going to go, but it always ends with just positive vibes and excitement to get out and play. So it takes, it takes on a life of its own. And it's funny when you hear the connections of you two, we were chatting, you know, getting ready to do this and it's like, Hey, I know this guy. Oh yeah. I know this guy. Oh yeah. I worked here. And you just, I mean, you guys have a lot of similar golf circles over the years so thanks again to pat mccabe for hopping on thanks again to persimmon country club for partnering with us here again monday august 7th put that thing in your calendar we're gonna have all the details in the coming weeks and we'll let you know the specifics we got what a little over what about six weeks eight seven weeks something like that till we're there so just file it away keep it in notion monday august 7th we'd love to play with you out at persimmon country club and that will do it for us folks for episode 19 free p buddy go low out there enjoy the sunshine there's rules I love to break and bend Mistakes I've made again and again But I tell you this, my friends, I'm still around I hit it hard, man So far, man No laying up, no holding back Ain't afraid of nothing, it's a natural fact I hit it long, man Till it's gone, man Keep taking chances, living large People would have given up by now All the rough I've seen, these ups and downs Somehow I just keep on playing through